Welcome, guys, back to the Grateful Living Podcast. Today, I'm thankful to have Brady Quinn with me. Brady is currently a college football and NFL analyst for CBS Sports and a game analyst for Fox Sports. Prior to that, he was an NFL quarterback who played seven seasons. And prior to the NFL, he was a college football star at Notre Dame from 2003 to 2006. Brady, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, thanks for having me on, man. How you doing? Good, good. Not too bad. Uh, of course, thankful to have you on. How about you? Uh, I'm doing well, man. Just uh, right now, obviously, as, as you well know, just in the middle of uh, working my way through an MBA, uh, I'm going to part-time with all the things that are on my plate right now. Um, and and probably most importantly, I got I got a family of three little girls. So um, just trying to balance, you know, everything that's going on right now, right now in my life. But all good things. It's all good. A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great perspective to have. Uh, so, you know, for, for the people that don't know, you know, take us back to the beginning where you grew up, your family situation, what type of kid you were, things like that. Yes. Yeah, so I grew up, uh, in really Columbus, Ohio, you know, kind of adventured around from upper Arlington was really probably the first house, um, that we lived in. However, I wasn't, you know, I couldn't recall much from, from that point of you know, in time in my childhood, uh, moved to Worthington a little bit after that, then eventually Dublin, Ohio, where I was, was the most formative portion of my years there. Uh, you know, came from a, from a middle class family. My father uh, was a home builder, and you know, my mother has a cleaning company that she has run for a long, a long period of time. And um, I've got an older sister and younger sister, so you know, we're a household of five. But uh, just honestly, I really, really awesome, fun childhood. It was really filled a lot with sports. Um, that was a, uh, pivotal part of my life. You know, one, I was always interested in it. I had two uncles that played college ball. My dad, uh, was, you know, ended up going into the Marines, but he was always a huge fan of sports. Um, so I had a very structured regimen in life, but a lot of it was surrounded by sports. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious when you, uh, when did you start football and were you always a quarterback? I wasn't always a quarterback. Uh, my first year, actually, in third grade, I was a wide receiver. And the reason being is my favorite player ever was Jerry Rice. Uh, we had family out in the West Coast uh, in, in Northern California. And so they would send me some 49ers gear. And even though in Ohio I was a Cleveland Browns fan, um, I, I still loved Jerry Rice. So the first year I played wide receiver, I always thought that was so cool. And then I was pitching at that time as well in baseball, and I was a good pitcher. So the coaches thought it would be a good idea to give me a shot at quarterback since I could pitch well, and the rest is kind of history. And you know, I played quarterback from that point moving forward, had a lot of fun with that position, um, and just everything that comes along with it. I, I really feel like it prepared me for so many things in life. It prepared me for so many different ventures, um, just even outside of football and in, in the business world, you know. Uh, there's so many elements of playing that position that kind of encompass like, or you could, you could say wear many different hats, you know, uh, from understanding, you know, how to manage people, you know, and kind of a, a management spirit, you know, sales, there's a lot of times out there, you're selling plays to people, you know, you're sitting there talking in the huddle, not many teams huddle anymore, but back when we used to, um, you know, you get a play call and some of these guys are like, yeah, I don't know about this, you know, and, and you're talking them into what their jobs are, why it's going to work you know, make sure you look for this, that sort of thing. You know, communication is, is paramount in the game of football, but there's just so many different things that 
I think the game of football in particular sports, obviously, uh, and then even the quarterback position, you know, really taught me and, and helped kind of uh, form a lot of the opinions and um, I guess ideals that I hold true to be today. Yeah. And anticipating the competition <laughs> when the, well, it's when not the... even anticipating it's, it's, it's the preparation, yeah. you know, the game of football, again, and I could apply how we'd go about, you know, breaking something down very specifically situationally throughout the course of a week. You know, when you'd come in after a game, let's say you're playing on Sundays, you know, Monday was your off day. So, you know, let's say, for example, you or I are out trying to raise a fund, right? And we just went on a, on a number of pitches and, hey, man, kind of struck out. Like, we, we didn't get anyone to invest, right? Like, we're still trying to build this thing up. We didn't get anyone to invest. We come in on Monday and you and I would meet. We'd say, okay, here's what I like what you did. Here's what I like what you did. But here's some things like you need to work on. I need to work on. This is what we need to improve upon. Or maybe we need to have a better feel for, um, you know, you telling our story and why we're going to be successful might be more attractive to these types of investors or vice versa. You know, maybe I can resonate better with them next time. So Monday is kind of that opportunity to review. And then, you know, Tuesday you come in and now you're looking towards those next round of investors how, you know, what's their background, you know, how should we go about preparing for that? And each day throughout the course of the week, you're situationally preparing. And maybe it's just for, in this hypothetical scenario, um, you know, one specific investor that where you're leading the presentation, it might be the next day, one where I'm leading the presentation uh, and in the way we're playing our different roles. So there's just so many ways in which, you know, that structure and the way we were regimented to prepare for our opponent, uh, that it can be applied to anything because your opponent can be anything. And so I, I always I always tell football players because you know there are so few that have the chance from high school to play in college, and even fewer have the chance to play in the NFL from college, and especially for past three years. I think that's the average length of an NFL career. So I always tell them, you know, take take your playbook with you. You know, take all the things you learn, those lessons, and then apply it moving forward. Because so many people have a hard time transitioning because that's their identity. But that's the biggest thing I think for me is, is just always taking those lessons learned and applying and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So Dublin Kaufman high school. Yep. Uh, you know, at some point you start excelling, you know, uh, you know, I guess for the high school players out there, you know, what were some of the keys to, to get you to, you know, where you were performing at, you know, your junior and senior year of high school? So it was interesting, you know, I, I had an opportunity to start playing my sophomore year, but I broke my foot about halfway through the season. And that was probably one of the biggest setbacks early on in my athletic career where uh, I felt like I was building momentum. I felt like I was going to kind of get my shot an opportunity. All the hard work had paid off. And it honestly forced me to kind of take a moment to stop and reflect and, and almost, you know, look at where I was personally and as a young man growing up and prioritize where I needed to get to. And, and I think that singular moment really helped me moving forward, you know, take things very serious and put together a plan, you know, a goals or objectives that I want to accomplish in the next year. And that's where a lot of, you know, my, my goal setting kind of came into play where I took every opportunity I could to go and, um, you know, throw and go to these different camps and do different things to get, my, get myself on film or get myself in front of potential coaches who would be able to offer me. And so um, that was that was huge for me, um, you know, and, and then coming into, you know, really. And, and at that point, it was funny because I break my foot in that year in football. Fast forward to the spring, you know, we go and win Division One state championships in baseball. 
So at that point, based on how baseball was going, I thought, okay, maybe, maybe baseball is going to be more of the opportunity for me uh, as I get older. You know, once I look to go play in college, now uh, we also went through a coaching change after my sophomore year. So we had a new coach come in, you know, there's uh, expectations as always at our high school. Uh, we're looked at as, as one of the predominant powerhouses in, in central Ohio, but you don't know, you, I mean, you never know 20 years ago, looking back, you know, you never know how that's going to go first year with the head coach. So um, as we get into things, my junior year, you know, it's, it's a bit rocky at the start, you know, we're, we're not playing the way we're capable of, we're still kind of trying to figure out our, our identity and, um, you know, honestly, it, it, there was a specific game playing against Grove City on their homecoming, mind you. Yeah. And we had a two-minute drive to come back and win that game. And that really kind of turned the tide uh, for me and my career and kind of springboard everything and recruiting and everything else to really start focusing more on football moving forward. But, you know, it was interesting. I, I just think that that moment in time, my sophomore year, uh, we because of the injury, it really allowed me to stop and kind of reflect and, you know, just – pump the brakes on my personal life, my social life, everything else going on, and then really start to goal set and prioritize where I wanted to go. I, I, I kind of felt like I needed to take a more serious approach to things. And then that that year in 2001 ended up being just a huge year for me athletically and, and just for my recruitment and everything else that came after that. So, um, you know, my, my lesson, again, is, is I think just make sure that you're very intentional with the way you go about, you know, trying to, to get that opportunity, you know, and make sure you take every opportunity you can to go throw, to compete, to showcase your talents and your abilities um, to whatever coach, whatever school, whatever the case may be, you know, take those opportunities to do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you know, so many people have the dream of going to the NFL and, and you accomplished that, you know, as you look back on, you know, your high school career, you know, your junior and senior year, particularly, which got you, I guess the offers, you know, do do you think a lot of that was just a ton of hard, like, was it just all hard work in the, in the summers or like what, what helped you get to that level where all these schools were, were after you? Um, I think for me, honestly, it's the sacrifice. And that really started, started really before that with the way I kind of started to prepare my body and work out, you know, like I said before, my dad was a Marine. And so you know, he really pushed me when, when I got in eighth grade to start working out and start lifting weights and start training and being intentional about that. And I really noticed the difference um, in particular in junior high, my last year there. And it, and it paid off because my, my freshman year, when I got brought up to varsity, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was like this small little skinny freshman kid with all these guys who are 18 years old, getting ready to move on to college. Um, so definitely the way I went about training. You know, I think at that point in time, um, as, the way my dad had kind of made me take it seriously and pushed me, uh, it started then, but, and, and again, and I go back to the sacrifice and it wasn't just about, you know, the sacrifice of time management and working out and choosing when to train and your diet and all that is also the sacrifice of not getting caught up in a lot of other things that were going on. You know, it, there was obviously, you know, drinking and drugs and things like that around me, but um, you know, I, I made sure to, to take care of the things I needed to take care of and stay away from any of the things that might impede on my ability to move on, um, you know, to, to play in college. And so, you know, all those things were kind of surrounding you, but there was those times where you're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I've got a bigger plan. Uh, and so many kids who I knew that were talented ended up kind of wasting it away because they chose to do other things or chose to go, you know, and chose to go a different direction uh, as far as the, their party scene and their social life. Yeah. 
So, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, BC, I'm sure there are plenty other schools, you know, talk to us about your recruiting process and, um, you know, maybe if any advice you have for anyone currently in that stage of their life. Oh, gosh. I mean, it, it's changed so much since I was uh, in high school. Um, you know, back then, I think I had 40 some offers before I committed before my senior year. Um, I think the only schools I wasn't getting letters from were, um, you know, USC, who had already taken a quarterback. Um, Florida, they had Chris Leak at that time. Miami, they had Kyle Wright. Those are the two top recruits my year. And then um, that's about it. Uh, maybe Florida State was on the other one. I think the whole state of Florida didn't like me. Ironic <laughs> enough that, that I live in South Florida now. Um, but no, I, it was so different then because, you know, there wasn't these centralized camps like the Nike camps and Under Armour camps and everything else that goes along with it. You had schools wanted to see you throw in person. And because of that, you know, you were taking trips. You know, I remember going all, all throughout the South. Uh, whether it was to, to South Carolina, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, going up to Northwestern and Michigan. And, you know, obviously Ohio State was right in my backyard, um, but a bunch of different schools. I flew out west to Colorado, um, kind of realized at that point I had family out there, but, um, you know, t it wasn't as big. College football wasn't as big on TV uh, as it is today. So, you know, if you want to go play out west, that's fine, but your parents are going to have a hard time, you know, seeing you back in 2003. Mm -hmm. So I kind of realized at that point, like maybe this is a little bit too far for me, even though I was getting looked at by places like Stanford. So it was, um, you know, the, the recruiting back then is so different from now. The only advice I would give now is, you know, it's all about being able to, um, you know, make sure you can leave yourself, make yourself accessible to a lot of the coaches out there. You know, you, you put your film and your highlights up on huddle on your Twitter handle or Instagram handle, whatever the case may be make sure you're putting the right things on social media because you better believe coaches are sorting through that and, and crossing guys off lists just based on what you post about your personal life. Um, and, and then obviously needs a little bit of information too. Like sometimes, you know, people are apprehensive about putting whatever their academic uh, accomplishments are, but that's really helpful too. in, in letting schools know that, Hey, this guy qualifies for us or he doesn't. And, and that helps you and it helps them because you don't want to waste time with them trying to recruit you if, you know, you, you can't, you, you know, you're not going to be able to make it in their school. So uh, all those things I think are really important for guys now to ensure that they do everything they can to get their name out there, get their highlights out there, their film out there. Um, because, you know, it, it's, there's enough services out there and people out there who, who are willing to help you. And also, um, you know, there's, they'll, they'll find you, like they'll, they'll find you and they'll give you an opportunity to go and play. You know, back in the day we were, you know, there's companies that now make your highlights and will cut up and edit games for you. Yeah, you know, I was burning them on CDs in our in our school library and then yeah. mailing them out to coaches. I had this big binder that I was just mailing it out to schools and all that. Uh, you know, back after my junior year. So um, it, it's it's changed so much since then. Yeah, obviously Notre Dame uh, won that battle. Do you want to talk about you know why you chose Notre Dame and maybe what they did to to get your vote of confidence? Yeah, they really came in late in the process. That year, it was, um, you know, kind of a debacle with the way George O'Leary was hired. And then they ended up firing him based on, you know, I, I guess he falsified something on, I don't know if it was his application or resume, whatever the case was, but uh, he was fired. Then, then Ty Willingham was hired, you know, from Stanford. So I was recruited by Bob Davey, who was the previous coach, but then didn't hear from him for a while. 
and they were a team that I rooted for growing up. And so it was a little disappointing at first, but as Ohio State and Michigan and Tennessee and some of the bigger schools at the time who had had a lot of success, uh, you know, as they started coming in, I wasn't too overly concerned by it. Um, and then finally, my uh, one of my best friends in the world, best man at my wedding, uh, him and his father came over one time after they'd been up to, to South Bend and they visited with Ty Willingham. And they urged and pleaded with my dad to go up and take a visit uh, so we could meet him. So we did. And I just – I fell in love with the man who he was, the coach that he was. Um, I really felt like he was the type of guy that I wanted to go play for and, and grow. The university itself speaks for itself. I mean, it's a tremendous academic institution. The networking is second to none, in my opinion. Um, so it was a very, very unique experience. I think the last time was just – a place that I could see myself growing spiritually, you know, it kind of had that time, that element to it. So, you know, ultimately those were really the things that mattered most to me at that point. Yeah. You know, uh, I guess, is there anything you want to, I mean, you know, you go from your sophomore year, I think it was like 17 TDs, 10 interceptions, 25, 86 yards, 54% completion to your junior year, you know, 64.9% completion, you know, 3,919 3, yards, 32 TDs to seven interceptions. What changes from your, you know, your sophomore year to your junior year? Well, the changes were really, you know, head coaching change. You know, Tyron Willingham got fired. and I'm not saying it was all his fault. We were a young football team. You know, we would have, you could see my freshman year to my sophomore year, you know, those numbers were flipped around to be the numbers that you saw. And then sophomore year to, to junior year, you know, those numbers were, were going to continue to grow, you know, as I continue to grow and mature and as the guys around me continue to grow and mature, you know, the quarterback position is so, um, you know, uh, dependent upon everything else that around it, that, that that's, it, you know, it really matters who's around you. And, and for me in particular, it mattered. So that played a role in it. I think the system that we ran when Charlie Weiss got there was a huge piece of it too. You know, he really, you know, from day one anointed me as his guy and the leader of the offense and, you know, gave me a new England Patriots playbook. And so I was watching Tom Brady, you know, all throughout college and, you know, trying to mimic everything he was doing. Uh, I was given the same responsibilities as he was going to given at the next level. And that really played to my style of play, you know, trying to put us in the best play possible, uh, trying to make sure the protection was right. Trying to make sure if we needed a route adjustment or something like that, that was communicated. Um, you know, we got, we got to throw the football a little bit more too, which helps some of the stats and things as well. So, um, all those things ended up, you know, playing a role in, in really helping us, you know, become the offense that I think we could be, uh, during the, the last two years that I was there. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, you know, the big, big stadiums, right. Is it just with experience you get? better with that or how do you not get intimidated with all the and everybody knows your names in the opponent's stadiums and you guys were you know nine and three and ten and three your junior and senior years so um how did you you know handle that situation we loved it i mean honestly we uh i don't think we lost as far as the regular season like once on the road during Charlie Weiss's career, we obviously in neutral sites, you know, didn't win either of those BCS games, but um, we, we tended to really like feed off of that. You know, it was like, we loved the, you know, chance where it was kind of everyone against us, you know, Notre Dame tends to be polarizing in that way anyway, where you either love them or hate them. So 
we knew immediately how people were going to feel when we were entering their away stadium. There wasn't a lot of love there. And honestly, it, it's funny. There's something about, obviously, at home games, when a big play happens and you hear the roar of the crowd, that, that has its own feeling to it. But equally, if not even more so, um, equally, if not even and more so kind of uh, tantalizing, it's just the silence. When you go into Michigan and you come out of there with a win and just how silent 100,000 people can be, that's one of the coolest things in the world. Like it, it, there's, one, there's one thing where you can make everyone stand up and cheer, but it's also when you can kind of silence everyone too. And that was something that I, I think we all – kind of loved and really you know played to but as far as execution those moments you know really one you're trained you're preparing the whole week you know with a lot of noise things like that but you know you're so focused on your job and you're executing your, your responsibilities that uh, you really don't you know take into account the things that are around you. you you really have tunnel vision in those moments so uh, as much as it's preparation there's also kind of an element of just that's where some guys are able to excel and some guys aren't um, and dealing with those, you know, kind of pressure pack situations. Yeah. You finished twice in the, you know, top four for Heisman trophy. Uh, I'm curious as you look back on your journey, you know, for any college quarterbacks listening to this, do you have any pieces of advice on how you got yourself to that level? Yeah. I mean, look again, the pieces that around you play a part, you know, all the guys you're throwing to the guys protected for you. And, um, you know, you, the coach calling plays your coaching staff, you know, that's all part of it. The Heisman is an individual award, but very few are, especially at quarterback, are doing it all by themselves. You know, they've always got guys helping them out, but it's just hard work. I mean, it's hard work and dedication. It's, it's, it's being open to taking the things that you're not good at, like being able to identify what you're not good at and being willing to want to work on those things over and over and over again. And even when you see incremental improvements. But I, like, I remember in the summertime going by myself, you know, taking out an old two-door Ford Explorer. Um, thing, thing was barely able to get around. But, you know, I'll pull up into one of the fields. They had a quarterback throwing net. I'd take out a bag of balls and I'd just throw. I'd work on the throws that I felt like gave me trouble. I'd work on different drills. And I would just go out there by myself for an hour and a half or so after we already had workouts and everything else. You know, it's, it's being dedicated to your craft and then having a feel and a willingness to work on the things that you're not good at where you feel like you lack confidence in. Um, that was probably one of the biggest things for me. I mean, there's people can talk about their secrets to it. There's really not. And it's just, it's outworking your opponents. It's, it's, you know, doing everything you can to continually get better and better every day. How did you manage fame? Um, as your junior and senior year comes along, you're obviously, you know, a lot more notable, um, I'm sure there are a lot more people, you know, saying hi to you on campus or trying to be your friend or random people reaching out to you. Um, any tips on, on managing that fame and trying to, uh, you know, manage all that? <laughs> I would say that one of the pieces of advice that I got was, you know, learn how to say no. Um, there's going to be some times where you don't want to, um, but, you do have to understand that, you know, you've got to do what's best for you in some moments. Um, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do because sometimes those people, you've got to say no to your family and friends, the people closest to you. Um, but at the end of the day, the reason why everyone wants to talk to you and they want a piece of your time is because of all the things you've done up to that point to be, you know, you know, noticed or, or, or to, you know, be talked about in that man, that manner. So, that's the hardest thing I think is just understanding how to, I still struggle with it to this day. Um, but 
you know, I, I remember outside my dorm room, my junior year, I lived in Dillon Hall and around Christmas time, you know, a couple of people started to leave some gifts next to my door to sign for their family or friends. And so I'd sign a football here, Jersey here, helmet here. And then next thing you know, it's like lined up all down one side of the hall. And I'm like, <laughs> holy cow. And like, yeah. I've got finals like everyone else. I'm trying to prepare for games, you know, like I've got this, this tight schedule. And then as you know, we get closer to Christmas now, like the other, other side of the hallway is all stacked up. You know, the rector comes down and says, Hey, uh, it's a fire hazard. Like we need to do something about this. So um, th those are the hard things is like understanding how there's some things that you can say no to and you can deal with. There's other things that are out of your control and, and you can't control those things. So you try to do the best you can with what you're given, you know, and, and understanding that you're not always going to be, at your very, very best, but just try not, not to be at your worst either uh, for some of those days that are your off days or some of those things that are really out of your control. I think that's, that's part of managing it too um, because I think so many times, especially people who are successful, they try to be perfectionists. And you know, if it's not perfect, then they get frustrated, they get down um, or discouraged. But like that's, you know, that's just, that's kind of part of how life works. You know, you, you got to be okay with, um, you know, miss hitting a, a shot in golf, for example, but still hitting a hole in one, right? That happens all the time. So uh, you still hit the hole in one, even though you didn't hit, hit it perfectly the way you wanted to. I think you'll take the result, even though the way of getting it wasn't you know, quite what we wanted. So that, that happens more often than not, I think, with, with handling a lot of kinds of stuff that's, that's out there. Yeah, I'm curious, just at a, at a fun, are you, how close were you junior year to coming out? Um, I, was, I, I, was, I was pretty close. I mean, we, I thought about it for a while. You know, my family at that point um, wasn't in the best financial situation. So I think it would have helped from that standpoint. Um, but I was the type of person that was kind of stubborn in the sense that I had set goals. I wanted to get my degree. I was really between the summer. Um, well, I guess it would have been the spring, summer and fall. You know, I really only had like one calendar year left of school. I took an independent study the spring of my senior year, but uh, at that point, I was already done. I was already graduated. So it, it really, you know, for me, it was more about the goals I'd set out for myself. You know, I wanted to get my degree. I wanted the chance to win a national championship. You know, we weren't able to do that when I was there, but we weren't able to do that at that point either. Um, I, I love the guys I came in to play with. You know, best men in my wedding, Chinadu and Dukeway. Uh, guys like Jeff Samarja, Tom Zibikowski, Ryan Harris, John Sullivan, John Carlson. I mean, all these guys, Ambrose Wooden, Victor Abiamari, Trevor Laws. I mean, all these guys, we went in together to play together. And I kind of felt like I owed it to them too, um, to exhaust that eligibility, to stay with those guys and try to do all I can um, to, to see if I could, if we could win a national championship together. So um, I, I feel like, I feel like I kind of owed it to them. I kind of owed it to the fans in the university. Yeah. Um, you know, Obviously, in recent news, uh, name, image, and likeness has come up, and um, you've got stories like a Miami gym owner paying the entire uh, University of Miami football team players $500 a month to use his gym. Uh, I'm curious, you know, as a college, you know, former college football star yourself, um, is that something you would have liked having when you were in college? Oh yeah. I mean, of course who wouldn't have, <laughs> I mean, hell I, I worked a job on my off day. You know, I, wow. I originally started out at the place called the Canaan center at the university of Notre Dame, just to make a few bucks to, to have some gas money and some spending money. Uh, and then I worked at the office of news and information for a couple of years. So, 
um, yeah, we definitely would have been yeah, gladly accepted. Uh, it might have, you know, might have complicated some things and, and forced you to grow up quicker, even though, you know, back then I think we got camera phones by like our senior year and social media was just becoming a thing. So um, we were already at the cusp of trying to understand like how this is all going to impact our, our personal lives and social lives and all that. But uh, no, I like, I think it's great that amateur athletes now have been able to kind of take this next step, especially college football players only because they've been taken advantage of in that way for a long time. I mean, I, I remember when I got to Notre Dame, when you walked to the bookstore, there was a number 10 jerseys, you know, they had your number standard number one, like any team would maybe number three or number seven. Cause some other, you know, past players had had that. Um, but for the most part, you know, once the 10 started showing up my freshman year, when I started, then I was like, Oh, okay. Like there's no other reason they'd be wearing that right now. So you definitely notice those sorts of things. And you kind of thought to yourself, like, man, it would be nice to have a cut of that because everyone else is able to enjoy off this, but I'm not able to. Um, but that, you know, again, that's the progress that I think uh, our society has made in this regard and recognizing that fault and, you know, more power to these kids. I would just say, be, be smart. I mean, the biggest concern is like a lot of these kids probably don't understand taxation yet. They're going to get taxed on the income they're receiving, even if it's just merchandise. Like that's one of the biggest misconceptions is, you know, these kids think that they're going to get these merchandise deals with different apparel companies for twenty, thirty thousand dollars Well, guess what? When you accept all that merchandise, that's viewed as income. So you're going to get a letter from the IRS. Um, and, but I also think there's some examples of kids who are doing it right. You know, Deere, King, Bubba Bolden, there's a few guys, you know, who are spreading the money at Miami um, to the rest of their teammates. You know, they're doing a good job with handling all that. So it's, um, it's, it's definitely, we're, we're on the cutting edge of it right now. I think there's some people who overreacted to the impact that it's going to have. I think at the end of the day, it's not going to be quite as big. Um, there's going to be a number of kids, maybe a couple of kids with each team, maybe that, that get deals. But for the most part, um, you know, that it, it's, it's probably justified with the amount of income they're bringing in for their schools. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, you obviously uh, go into the draft um, being a top prospect do you want to just talk about your draft process? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, uh, the combine and all the stuff that comes with it. I, I tore my PCL, uh, my uh, sugar bowl, my senior year. So, uh, you know, for me right away, the first concern was, okay, how bad's the knee injury? Um, my medical staff at the time didn't know. You're on a neutral site down in New Orleans. So I had to fly to Dr. Andrews there in Birmingham, Alabama. I had to get an MRI. You know, everything checked out. It was just a PCL. It wasn't an ACL. So, okay. Uh, now you're kind of, your, your focus is more than like, okay, like how can I get myself ready to play and what can, what can I play in? Um, I couldn't play in the senior bowl. Uh, I, I couldn't play in, in any other game, you know, leading up to the draft for that matter. Um, as far as that goes. So, you know, then you're just trying to say, okay, when can I be ready for a pro day? Can I do anything at the combine? All that stuff, you know, the combine's in February, you know, our bowl game was in January. So it just, it wasn't enough of a turnaround time to be able to get healthy enough to do that. So um, the hard part of that was like managing an injury, trying to kind of keep it under reps and not tell everyone. But at the same time, you're, you know, trying to interview with teams and work out for teams. You're going through the combine, you're going through all this stuff, but it's a, it, it's a very unique process. Like there's nothing like it uh, only because, you know, your typical job interview, you're just focused on one person you're talking to, you know, you're, there's a dialogue back and forth. You know, in this case, it's all one-sided. You know, each one of these teams has a pick and they're, they're making 
decisions after 20 minute meetings sometimes on how they feel about a guy uh, in, in Indianapolis. So it's, it's a crazy process. I mean, the draft itself is probably the best reality TV it is. That's hence the reason why it's become such a big event now that's in prime time over the course of what, four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get picked to the Cleveland Browns. Um, I guess do you want, you want to uh, just talk about that experience or, you know, any advice you have for a young QB, you know, start, starting out their career in the NFL? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, the, the Browns were the team I rooted for, you know, growing up. So it really was a childhood dream. The interesting thing was just, you know, you get there, you're not really sure what to expect because it's just different than college. You know, uh, everyone's kind of their own brand, their own individual. Uh, even though you're a team, there's still that element of it. And it's, it became very apparent to me in preseason, just even in warmups with how guys conduct themselves and all that. I was like, okay, this is really different from what I was, what I was used to. So um, that was kind of the first thing that hit me. But then after that, I mean, it was just the constant change that I had to deal with, you know, we had head coaching change after I was there for two years, GM coach fired, you know, new coach, new general manager hired. In my third year, we fired our, our, that general manager after eight games, you know, and then, um, you know, I ended up getting traded, you know, after that year. So I'm a, now I'm in Denver coach that trades for me, gets fired after 12 games that season. Um, you know, the following year, they hired John Fox. I finished off the fifth year of my rookie deal. And at that point, I just, I wanted an opportunity to play, you know, I'd only played what 12 games, something like that up to that point. And, you know, I, I thought I might have a chance in, in Kansas city. I did, but it wasn't, you know, until halfway through the season, we were a one win football team and we're already pretty banged up. So, um, you know, that was tough. It was difficult. And there was obviously a lot of uh, things that happened off the field that were, that were tough than that. So, then at that point, you're just looking for a chance. You know, you're looking for an opportunity uh, to get on with the team and be able to play. And I think I ended up – I spent five months with the Seattle Seahawks that, that offseason. Um, that team, you know, walking in the door, you could tell was special. And it was unlike any other team that I was around um, throughout my career there. And you could see why they they're, they're going to go win the Super Bowl. I mean, they treated every single day like it was a competition, like it was a game. And it was one of the most unique atmospheres I'd ever been in. And you could feel the intensity every day. You could feel the strain every day. Uh, it was one of the coolest things to be a part of. Um, now, I wasn't able to make the roster. I got released, you know, last cuts, you know, late in the day. So that was kind of a unique experience because I'd never been cut before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got I was cut and then I immediately received a call from the Jets. They had a potential spot for about half a year. So I ended up sleeping on it, took that opportunity. Uh, they let me go after half the year like they said they would. And uh, then I immediately got picked up by the St. Louis Rams. So just that entire year and really season was just a whirlwind where you're just trying to find stability amongst the chaos. And I, and I think that was probably as you kind of hear me list through the head coaches, the general managers, all of it. That's really what it was. Um, you know, understanding that I had to find a process within myself to prepare myself, even though there was going to be so many things changing around me or the destinations were changing, whatever the case was there was still that expectation to perform. There's still the expectation to be, be prepared. And so it was controlling the things that you could control. And that was really one of the biggest things I think I took out of my career in the NFL. Yeah. What do you think? Um, do you think from, from a team perspective, you know, what do you think is the biggest mistake like the Browns or, or did or were doing at that time or any team that's not performing well? Is it, a lack of continuity, 
um, like not having enough veterans. What do you think is the number one mistake? Like those? Oh, I, I don't think it's that. I, I think it's a lack of continuity. I, I think, you know, there are some owners or organizations who tend to have knee jerk reactions or tend to be, you know, have rabbit ears for the media. And the unfortunate reality of the media is about 80% of it's negative, right? About 20% is probably positive. And the issue with that is, is then you get so many people who are concerned about being one of those 80% of negative stories that they, they almost become um, like hypersensitive to everything, and especially when it's negative. So at the first sign that things aren't working out, they look to run, you know, they're looking for an exit and that's just, that's not how you build success. And I think you look at any of, you know, the best who have done it, you know, Peyton Manning, for example, his rookie year, he throws like 30 some interceptions, you know, in today's world, I, can you imagine that? Like they would call <laughs> the guy a bust. I mean, what, wasn't he one somebody, in 15 his rookie year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would have written him off right away yeah. if it was today's society and how wrong they would have been. So yeah. I think that's the toughest part is, is the league's kind of changed in that way. It started to get that way when, when I was getting in and there's just, there's never this understanding of like, this takes time. It takes time to grow and build into the team and mesh into the team that you're, that you're you know, capable of being. And, and part of that's, you know, part of that's uh, reflective of how much money the owners are making. You know, they can make quicker decisions now and move on from things quicker to try to you know get what they feel like is the right answer, either as a coach or as a player, um, part of that's you know part of it. But um, that, that's the biggest thing. I just think you look at all the or, or look at all the organizations that have success, all the organizations that like don't panic through all of it, have stability. They tend to be the ones that you know handle adversity better. They tend to be the ones that when the season gets off to a slow start, they figure it out in the end because they know that the organization isn't going to panic around them. I'm curious from a, a personal perspective, you know, obviously you were part of the chiefs when the Jovan Belcher incident happened. Um, and it was later determined he had CTE. Um, how does a situation like that affect you? And, um, you know, have you personally been concerned about the effects of concussions? Um, well, there's the Javon Belcher situation, um, is one that like, I'm not going to talk about it in the light of CT necessarily. Cause I, I, I can't, and I don't think anyone knows whether or not that played had a direct correlation with the events that took place. That's fair. Um, yeah. you know, what happened was tragic. Uh, it was probably one of the, it might've been the worst experience that, you know, you kind of go through when you think about life, just the types of things that can happen. Um, that's about as bad as it gets. You know, that was a guy that was a leader on our team. You know, I, I sat across from him in stretch lines every day. Uh, he had just had a daughter. And, you know, the day before a game takes his own life and takes the life of someone else. So there's there's not really words for the type of sorrow that I think our team felt uh, in losing the person who he was. Obviously, the sadness of all those who are impacted by not just his death, but, you know, obviously the mother of his child. Um, now the the world that the child has to, you know, move forward with without either parent. Um, that's the sort of sadness that you just, you can't, you can't fix. Um, and so it was hard. I mean, we had, I think five weeks after that point in time, we somehow won that next day, but it, that never really made sense to me either. Um, but it was just a really, really heavy situation. It, it kind of made me 
after the season really have to reflect on just how precious life can be, you know, how, you know, one bad decision can lead to a chain of bad decisions that can lead to an incident like that. So um, it was, it was incredibly hard, I think, for most of the guys to deal with. I think most players were probably in shock, maybe for weeks, you know, not even understanding the, the pain and sorrow they're going through. And, uh, you know, and, and so as, as, as far as, you know, CTE and how that even relates, I mean, look, the, the reality is with CTE, I, I've had multiple concussions that have been diagnosed, hospitalized for and all that. I, I mean, there's just as many concussions in women's soccer in high school as there is men's football. Um, the game is, is, has never been safer. The, the tackling techniques they use today versus what it was, the helmets, the mouth guards, all those things, you know, now what they're doing, the way they go about measuring kids when they do have a big hit and determining whether or not they have a concussion, if they should go back into play. I mean, they've made such progress in that regard. So I, I don't have any concerns about, you know, CT in that regard, or at least with sport now moving forward. I mean, for myself personally with playing it, it really has never factored in. You know, I try to live the healthiest lifestyle I can and, again, control the things I can control. Um, you know, I don't know if there's any definitive data that correlates football and CTE versus any other sport in CTE um, or even, you know, can conclude that that's purely what it is from. You know, they, we really yeah. don't know still. There's still a lot more to find out. So I really can't comment on it at this point. Um, but, again, it's it's – there's obviously a lot more that they need to find out and, and hopefully they will, you know, hopefully they can help uh, a lot of players who are battling with that sort of stuff uh, deal with it. Yeah. As you, as we transition to your broadcasting career, as you look back on your football journey, you know, do you have any, any, any regrets or anything you would have done different or any other things you want to talk about from your football life? Um, I mean, <laughs> that's the funny thing. When people ask that question, I would say like, I wish I did, you know, I, I wish I really did have regrets, but like it wasn't like there was ever a lack of focus or it wasn't like there was ever a lack of effort uh, or the way that I went about training. I, I always think about a couple of different things. I think when I first got in the league, cause I immediately entered into a competitive situation, you know, where everyone looked at me as the guy is eventually going to get a shot. And it was hard then to kind of be able to work with or want to talk to other veteran guys out there in the league and see how they do it and, and try to figure out how to be a pro in that way. Like I kind of came into the league feeling like I was a little bit on an Island. Um, and that was hard because I, I had to kind of teach myself, you know, what I thought it was to be a pro. Um, and it's, and that's not always easy to do. And I think for a lot of guys, that's why you see quarterback rooms where Patrick Mahomes, for example, gets drafted by Kansas city. They sit him for basically that year. He learns from Alex Smith, who's a pro's pro, and then he accelerate, you know, excels after that. Like that's an ideal scenario. Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre. You know, you could go through a bunch of different examples of that, and that that I think is like a huge thing for any young quarterback that gets into the league because you don't know what you don't know, and you you go into it and it is a different game. Like you you feel like oh it's still football, but it's not. It's different. Um, and how you prepare and how you handle things and the way the defenses play, it's all different. So um, that's one thing that I, I wish I would have been more open to. If I felt like I was an island with the guys on my team because of our competitive situation, then I would have asked more for guys on other teams, you know, guys that I could reach out to and go spend time with in the offseason. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, I, I chose to go to Kansas City 
after my fifth year. And, you know, I, I could have had the opportunity to come back and be a backup for Peyton in Denver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously playing against him twice, you know, I saw firsthand how, you know, how hard that is, um, you know, playing against Peyton and, you know, some, you know, something in the back of my mind would think, well, if I would have signed a two-year deal, gone back with Denver, you know, I would have been sitting there seven years later, having only spent time with two teams. Instead, it created a snowball effect where I bet on myself. I tried to go to Kansas city to maybe have a chance to play. I did, but unfortunately it worked out to just to be an, an awful situation. And, you know, then you're just trying to find traction anywhere. And so I always go back and think about that decision, you know, and, and I'm never one to, to be conservative, uh, at least in regards to, you know, how I'm going to play things. And so I, I think at the end of the day, I, I got what I wanted. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to hold a clipboard and watch someone else, even if it is a hall of fame player. Uh, and even if it was going up against them and, and losing, but at the end of the day, uh, I can at least have peace with that decision. So even in that regard, I don't think I really regret it. Yeah. You bet on yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, soon after that, you transitioned transitioned into broadcasting. Um, you know, how has, how has that experience been? What's it like being on the other side, being a part of media? Yeah. So it was, uh, it's been interesting. I mean, preparing for games has been awesome because anytime I do get to call a game, I just look at it like I was playing again. You know, I'm looking at both teams, like they're my opponent. I'm looking at what their identity is on offense. I'm looking at what you know they're trying to do on defense, depending on who the opponent is. Um, you get to read about the stories of coaches and players, which is always neat. And then tell them uh, to, to a live audience, which is really, really cool to do. So that, uh, that, that transition was honestly easy for me. I think the harder thing was, um, trying to just kind of find your own voice within it all. Um, You go into it thinking like you've seen other people do it. I guess that's how I'm supposed to look and how I'm supposed to do it. But really what makes the best TV. And and I think like TNT, NBA on TNT and that pregame show with, you know, Shaq and Kenny and Chuck and, and Ernie, they're the best. And it's because they're so genuine and they're just who they are. And they're informative, but they're educational and they're funny and they're entertaining. Like it's just that that's what makes it fun. And so I, I've been fortunate because, you know, we, I, I had the opportunity, obviously, to, to team up uh, with Fox and do their college football pregame show. And, you know, I played against Matt and Reggie. But now that we've been able to kind of reunite like that, we've started to kind of create our own little thing in that regard. So it, it's been fun. And that's something that has, has kind of been uh, different for me, but obviously really enjoyable in that regard. I've done radio now for six years. I've had a partner in Jonas Knox, who's now one of my best friends. Um, and so I've been really, really fortunate, I think, uh, just to be able to transition into that career, take a lot of what I had from football with me, but also at the same time, kind of find out on my own, like like how the whole thing's supposed to work. So it's, it really has been an interesting adventure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess now you're you're doing an MBA um, wh- why are you, do- why are you challenging yourself with that? I, it's so funny. So in yesterday's class, one of my our group members <clears throat> for uh, our entrepreneurial finance class <laughs> said he had a friend. He goes, why is he even doing that? Why is he wasting his time with that? And, you know, I'm the type of person that always wants to continue learning and growing. Uh, I feel like a lot's changed in even the world of finance, which I was a finance major at Notre Dame since I graduated. I mean, you think about 07, you know, you graduate in 2008, you've got a housing market crash. So 
there's that there's the pandemic and everything happened with that, what happened last year and how that affected financial markets. So I kind of looked at it and thought it'd be a great time to, you know, restart my education, go back out there and continue to grow in that way, that capacity. Uh, Babson obviously was a place that amongst a couple other schools that I was looking at could work with my full-time work schedule and still be able to accomplish it from a part-time schedule. Uh, I knew of another, uh, another former NFL player who got his MBA from Babson. He loved it. And he's a stud. So, you know, after speaking with him, I was like, all right, like, this is for me. Like, this is the place I want to be and be able to do it. And so it, it ended up working out to be a perfect fit. Yeah. I also want to, if we can, as much as you, you want to divulge, you know, um, uh, I, I love hearing about the personal life too. I mean, we've talked a ton about the professional life, um, but especially with the success level that you've had professionally, um, you know, you're married with three kids. Do you want to just, you know, give the, the single guys out there some advice on finding, finding the one? <laughs> love advice, man. Wow. Um, you know, <laughs> my whole thing is like, just find your, find a best friend. Cause that's, that's what, that's what marriage is. That's what raising children is. Um, my wife and I were talking about the other day, just how hard it can be, but at least you're going through with your best friend and, you know, marriage isn't easy being parents. None of it's easy. It's incredibly rewarding and it's the most fulfilling thing you'll ever do. But um, try to find someone who, you know, that, that you get along with, that you love and you want to be with um, and that you enjoy being around and, and you want to make better and they want to make you better. I mean, that's what it's all about. It, it really is. It's people are trying to complicate it and they try to make it about superficial things, but it's not, you know, it really isn't because th those things aren't going to be your foundation when adversity hits or when you get an argument. Um, and so for me, like it, it always stems back to finding someone who you love, finding someone who you can be your best friend that you care about, that you're willing to sacrifice for, that you're not trying to play, you know, tit for tat and saying, well, you did this. So I get this, or it's never going to be even, you know, you, you got to be willing to constantly be looking to serve others uh, in that relationship and, and knowing that the other person is going to be willing to do that too. And then that way there is no resentment, um, you know, between the two of you. So that'd be my piece of advice, man. Just go up and go out there and find your best friend. Yeah. Uh, both of you are, have, you know, professionally have done really well. Um, I believe she's the fourth most decorated U.S. female gymnast. You've obviously had seven seasons in the NFL. I'm curious, how have you guys, you know, obviously you're both motivated individually, individuals professionally. Um, you know, how have you been able to balance that, you know, your each, your individual drives and and still, you know, be there for each other through those, through those years. Yeah. I think the toughest part for us to be honest was just understanding like each of us has roles at times, you know, there's going to be times when, you know, I, I need her to be a specific role, but that may not be what she wants to do. And, and you know, same thing for me um, because it's hard, you know, to be in a position where, you know, you're not necessarily doing what you want to be doing or could be doing. You know, I, I think she, because of, you know, naturally just being pregnant has had to make more sacrifices in that regard. Um, you know, she, she couldn't be a part of uh, calling SEC network gymnastics meets like she normally did in the springtime 
because she was getting ready to have a baby. You know, we literally had our, our youngest child, Cassidy, uh, back last February of 2020. So usually she'd be calling, um, and I think she called maybe one or two meets, but usually she would call on a full slate and she couldn't. So those sorts of things, I think, um, you know, those sacrifices are going to take place and you just have to make sure you're there for each other, support each other through it. Um, and I, I think honestly, like the number one thing is communication. As long as you're on the same page and you each have an understanding of um, what the expectations are, um, what the goals are, like you really can't go wrong. I mean, there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be emotions, but those things you can manage. And then I think the other thing is, so communication is one C word, then like confrontation is the other one. Like you're going to have confrontation. You're going to have it. It's going to have, it's a, it's, it's eventual. It happens with everyone. It's about making that confrontation um, constructive and you make it constructive by having resolution. So not just being mad and yelling, sort of yell at each other, like trying to say, all right, we have a problem here. Like, let's figure out the solution between the two of us and trying to find the shortest distance between two points. Like that's always how I approach it. Um, and, and I think that's the best way to go about doing it. But I, I think we've really grown in our communication and we've grown even with our confrontations in understanding that like we can make these constructive and, and we can be better and on the other side, finding resolution. Yeah. Uh, for, for people that aren't fathers yet, uh, are, is there a way to, to prepare and, and how did father <laughs> fatherhood change you? Oh man. I, I, I know it changed me for the better. Um, it definitely forces you to become more efficient. It, your heart grows, you know, you, you can't help it. Uh, it changes your perspective. You know, you, you stop thinking about yourself. Uh, that happens when you get married, but it happens again then when you have kids and they become your priority. They become the first thought when you wake up, the last thought when you go to bed and a lot of thoughts in between. And, and obviously you're, you're trying to prepare the best you can to, to leave something for them, to protect them, to, you know, foresee their path. So, you know, as far as preparing for it, <laughs> I wish I could give you a book or something, but there's really nothing you can because the reality is every kid, every baby, every infant, they're all different. And everyone's going to find their own solution to, okay, like how do we get the baby to sleep, right? Like each one of our kids were different when they were born and, and how fast they were able to sleep through the night and, and their sleep habits or their eating habits, they're all different. And so you just try to find whatever works uh, to be able to make it happen. Uh, I would say this. Um, my wife and I each had, we had, we each had a puppy when we were initially dating and I feel like having a pet, especially between a couple is like a great way of being able to work on some of those habits of how you're going to take care of something like mm. the shared habits in that. Um, and, and obviously just caring for any pet animal, like it starts to kind of get you in that mode of like, okay, like we have something that's dependent upon us. How do we go about handling this? And so I'm not trying to compare like kids to pets, but as far as like something that I think helped us was there was already a certain degree of like, okay, you know, we got to each like take our turns and figuring this out of how we're going to go about, you know, taking care of this, you know, feeding this, doing this and all that. Yeah. And then uh, one other thing I saw you have is a third and goal foundation. Do you want to speak on that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. So the third and goal foundation is a foundation that really, uh, is, is there to, to help and aid veterans uh, in, in three different ways. We have uh, Operation Home, where we help make homes handicap accessible for wounded vets. Uh, we do that in a variety of ways. We actually just installed a ramp 
uh, unfortunately for a, a terminally ill veteran. So I, I believe um, they've said he's got six months to live at this point in time and, and he's in hospice and he, he wanted to, um, you know, had, you know, pass his final days being in his house. So we're able to, to kind of build a ramp so you can get in and out from there um, as, as, you know, yeah, as he kind of obviously leaves us, but um, that's, that's operation home operation education. We put on educational platforms for veterans who are looking to start, finish, or continue their education. And we've got a program at the university of Notre Dame uh, at the Ohio state university. Uh, we've got another one in the, in the works, but we haven't announced that yet. And then we've actually also worked with, uh, or, or I should say, we helped fund a project in uh, South Bend, Indiana, which is right outside there at the, of the university at a veteran center there, uh, a curriculum to kind of help some of those veterans who are homeless uh, get back on their feet. And then Operation Joy, uh, just providing at different times of year, in particular on holidays, uh, gifts to military family in need. So you can find, all the, find out all the information at, at 3ng.com or thirdandgoalfoundation.org. Um, you can find all about us, but it was really inspired by my father, uh, who served in Vietnam. Um, you know, I was talking with him one day about ways I can give back and help out and him being a whole builder. We kind of said, all right, let's just find one veteran needs help in Ohio. And my dad was able to donate the labor. Uh, we were able to, you know, find a home remodel project to help out one. And we continued to keep building on from there. That's awesome. Uh, just a selfish question, uh, for me you know, you have a lot going on. Uh, your, your husband, father, uh, broadcaster, radio host, MBA student, you've got your own family, you know, your sisters, your parents. Um, how do you manage time? Uh, I'm very intentional with everything I do. And so if it's not something that is, uh, a part of, you know, one of my top priorities, you know, obviously being my kids, my wife, uh, my career, my foundation, any of that stuff, then, you know, it really takes a backseat. And so I, I obviously don't get quite as much sleep as most people. I probably average like six hours a night, if, if that. Um, and so I'm, I'm up, up early, stand up late. Um, and and my, my schedule is pretty much blocked off where I'm very regimented in what I'm doing and, and what I'm spending my time doing. So I, I learned that back in, in, in Notre Dame, honestly, you know, that was where I was really pushed um, to be able to manage my time between the studies and football. Um, and so, you know, again, like I said before, back talking about school, you're gonna make sacrifices. And so there's a lot of things like I don't watch TV unless it's a live event or a football game or something that I need to watch. Um, you know, I'm not watching it. I don't really watch shows. Uh, I play a little bit of golf here and there outside of that. Don't have any hobbies. So uh, that's the point in time in my life I'm at right now. And uh, I figure I've got the opportunity to do that while my kids are still young and I'm relatively young. Uh, and so I, I try to maximize uh, this, this time frame that I feel like I have. Brady, is there a question that uh, you wished more people would ask you, or is there something that you want to talk about that you never get to talk about? Oh man, I've never, I've never really thought about that, but um, gosh. You know, I, I hope the biggest thing is, like, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is people are really afraid uh, to fail. Like, they're they're super afraid to fail or to be wrong or to have something not go the way they anticipated. Like, I get a lot of people always ask me, like, how do you feel during the draft? You know, I was supposed to go in the top 10, ended up falling to 22, I think. 
And I was like, I, I remember that day thinking this, you know, how lucky am I to be a kid who gets drafted in the NFL to a team that he dreamed of playing for when he was young. And yet all these people are asking me, you know, how I feel. Am I disappointed? I was like, I mean, imagine all the kids that got drafted after me. I mean, I, like, I'm, 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 I'm like, yeah, I was, I was one of, you know, 22 guys taken in the first round. They have the opportunity to go play in the NFL for me, a, a, literally a, a dream that was lived out. And, you know, on top of that, you're being compensated extremely well. I mean, it just, it, it always, it was always funny to me. Cause I was just like, you know, everyone else was viewing that as disappointing or frustrating, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and it was a long day. Don't get me wrong. Like I was in there for a long period of time. Thank God they shortened the rounds. But I just remember thinking to myself, like, man, this is just the beginning. And even though football ended for me, um, you know, I, I actually went into year eight playing with the Miami Dolphins in training camp. And even though it ended there, I transitioned immediately into broadcasting. And so like something new and beautiful and fun started out of it. So um, I just think it's interesting. Like people, people need to get rid of that, that fear of failure. Cause one, you never know what's going to be on the other side. If you do have to move on and two, you're going to learn something like take those moments, take those failures, take those interceptions and like learn to not do them again. Um, and that's one thing that I, I feel like I try to kind of try to pride myself on in certain scenarios is always learning, growing, and moving forward from those failures or those mistakes. Um, and I think that's, that's something that I hope, you know, people can take from this and obviously, you know, use it moving forward. Cause I think we're, we're so hypersensitive now because of social media and everything else that we don't want to be that meme or that person or whatever else. And it's like, that's never going to get you anywhere. You know, if you just want to you know stay in your basement or stay wherever and be, be in your safe comfort zone, you're never going to grow. You're never going to reach your potential. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of that is, is perspective, you know, the that if you look for the good you'll find the good you know that's a great you know i i don't think any nfl fan um would have ever had the perspective that you that you did of i'm drafted in the first round you know everybody talks about the fall you know yeah and so um thank you uh brady i i just want to acknowledge you um i really appreciate someone of your stature coming on uh, the grateful living podcast um you know just seeing you know the way that you've conducted yourself in life throughout high school uh college and then the nfl and accomplishing so much uh you know you're an inspiration to a lot of us um and so thank you for sharing your story um for anybody out there that's listening to this if uh you know is there some way that they can uh or if they want to support you or follow you or do something uh is there you know are there any websites or social media handles you want to let them know about yeah i mean i'll just say my foundation you know three three and g.com you know three a and d g.com um that's usually how i mean I, I go on social media every once in a while i'm not that active on it i'm not a big fan of it honestly i really just have it because um you know a lot of times we're asked to have it uh, because we're in broadcasting. So the second that part of my life ends, so does those social media accounts. I can yeah. promise you that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, my executive director is a rock star, Megan Witt. Uh, she can always you know, help you in getting in touch. But yeah, 3ng.com or just if you search for Third and Goal Foundation, uh, you, you'll find us. Cool. Thank you so much for being on. Arnav, thank you, man. I really appreciate it, man. Appreciate it.